0: I bought an original gas mask canister with original paint from 1944 military uh, back, oh, it must have been like six, seven years ago. It was a while ago. And I used that in the field. The field use really took a toll on the paints.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here with Ben. How are you doing today, Ben?
0: Great. Happy New Year, everybody.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is our first episode of the new year. Before we get started, I would like to say a special thank you to everybody who supports us via Patreon. And a very special thanks to our two newest Patreon supporters, Austin and Devin. Thank you very much, guys, for your help. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Austin. Thank you, Devin. Uh, so tonight's topic is going to be a really interesting and I think in-depth one, kind of nerdy. Uh, look, people seem to like these episodes, so uh, we welcome your feedback on it if you if you think this kind of episode is cool. If you don't think it's cool, either way, uh, you can always reach out and let us know. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about uh, World War II gas masks. We're going to be focusing here on German stuff because that's what... Ben and I have mostly focused on. We're going to touch on Soviet stuff uh, towards the end of the episode, but we're going to really get into the kind of nitty gritty here about some details of the originals, the different models that were used, um, and reenactment application of them, what's available for the reenactor to use, and uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of meat here, so... Uh, let's just dive right in. so first of all, uh, Ben, have you ever actually like used the mask part of a gas mask at a reenactment?
0: I'm straining my brain dude. I feel like maybe we did some photo shoots um, or like took some like goofy photos but no it's never we've never done like a gas drill. Um, I feel like the the most we've ever done is like either like a spooky or a goofy photo, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely more goofy, I think, than spooky. Films. Yeah. What about the reality of World War II? Do you think German soldiers used gas masks in World War II? I mean,
0: in training, sure. I'm like every, every military was terrified of poison gas after the horrors of World War One. That's why every army uh, issued uh, issued uh, issued uh, gas masks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like. I feel like there are some accounts from like Sevastopol of the use of poison gas, but, um, but, uh, There's one memoir of a first SS guy. I think his name was Bartman. You know what I'm talking about,
1: Chris? Uh, Vaguely. I'm not really an expert on, like, the the use of poison gas. I knew you would know more about this than me, to be honest. Thank you. Well, the account uh, basically
0: went as follows. I'm paraphrasing, but supposedly the Soviets accidentally fired a mustard gas shell. And on an open channel, like the local German commander addressed the soviets and said are we doing poison gas like we can we can do gas warfare if if you want and the soviets re- replied that shell was fired by mistake and so granted i mean you know veterans testimony can be faulty but you know it does it sounds like there was a reluctance uh, you know of on all sides to to use poison gas in warfare for fear of
1: retaliation sure But the Germans, at least, definitely carried... The cans, yeah. at the very least. I mean, when you see photographs or footage of uh, German soldiers in combat, when they're wearing gear, which is most of the time, the yeah. gas mask canister is virtually always there.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were, again, people were afraid. And so it's just like at a moment's notice, whip the thing out.
1: There's this endless uh, reenactor debate that will never end about whether or not they carried masks in the can. And I'm, I don't want to take even really like a position on this. It's just too controversial i don't even want to like touch this with a pole um you know ben i i think you should also refrain from like making a hard line position on whether or not or to what extent the mask was carried in the can
0: sure i mean it was army property i imagine that that actually that under some circumstances disposing of your issue property could get you in big trouble um and i feel like yeah, you were supposed to have yeah you were supposed to have it it was an it, it was an army of millions of men i'm sure there were some cases where guys did not but also too you know i i would rather have a can than i don't know a like a a bottle of uh, a bottle of uh, soda in my uh, in yeah, my rather, gas mask. You'd rather
1: have a mask. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, instead of a bottle of Mountain Dew, you I know?
1: Mean, the the thing about this is, is that you absolutely can find historical documentation to make the case that they always had the mask in there. Sure. You know, you can find people saying, it, it never would have occurred to me to throw the mask in there. You needed that. I never would have thrown it away. And then you could absolutely find veteran accounts to make the case that in the field— like it was very, very common to not have the mask in there. You can find, um, accounts and documentation pertaining to soldiers from various branches from all different times of the year, from all different fronts, talking about how they didn't carry the mask in the can. So, you know, that's, uh, I also, uh, generally carry a, a mask in my can. Same. Just same. because I feel like I have to carry something in there. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's cool. And like I say, it is something that German soldiers certainly would have had and been familiar with. Even those guys who didn't carry their mask in the can, they had had that mask at some point. You know, they, they weren't issued an empty can.
0: Yeah, no, I agree on that, Chris.
1: Okay, so let's let's kind of buckle in for the, uh, for the real deal detail stuff here. We're going to talk about the first model of gas mask that was used by the German... Wehrmacht, which was called the GM thirty, which was the Gasmaske 30 This came out in nineteen thirty, hence the name.
0: Technically, I mean that was under the Reichswehr administration. At that time. Yeah.
1: And uh it was that was the type of mask that was in use when the Reichswehr became the Wehrmacht in nineteen thirty five. And it was made out of rubberized canvas. It came in three different sizes, one, two, and three, they were numbered. And um, it's kind of smooth rubber on the inside uh, fabric looking canvas on the outside with field gray painted metal fittings and it's sort of like a gray green color
0: isn't there a like a like a suede component like there is suede around the outside
1: there is like some suede i don't know if it's actually leather it probably is probably really yeah is suede. i think it probably is right yeah, that's around where it that creates kind of the seal around your face yeah and then there are uh, sort of elasticated straps that fit around the back of your head that have little springs inside fabric channels. That's how this thing is uh, springy. And there's also one long strap that goes down around. Like you could you can use this long strap to wear the mask around your neck. Um, and the lenses, there are of course two lenses for your two eyes, and then they had, um, they had inserts, anti fog inserts that the soldier could install himself. And these masks were generally issued with extra packets of these spare lens inserts. The, the lenses themselves, that is to say the actual protective lens, um, you couldn't remove without tools and the soldier wasn't supposed to be removing that.
0: And shameless plug, but you were making those, what, like a year ago or something? I did I remember make a, that
1: I made a bunch of reproductions, which were like kind of just sort of stand-ins, you know, visual representations. They weren't actually functional anti-fog uh, inserts for Still that.
0: cool. I mean, I feel like most reenactors are not going to be actually using the anti-fog lenses. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, yeah. we're
1: going to be touching on that concept here a bunch because we're going to be talking about things that you use for reenacting that you don't use, you know, mm. you, like reenacting kit, That there is no gas attack. Um, and yeah, you, you could use it for training. But the majority of reenactment events do not include like a gas training drill or a you know, where you go into a gas chamber or whatever.
0: All right, roll on, Chris.
1: All right, so the mask was carried in a fluted metal canister. The first one um, came out in 1930. That was the mask that was in the can that was introduced together with the model 1930 mask. Um, This is one of what became known as the short cans because the wartime model can was uh, slightly taller. It was for use with a different... Uh, gas mask and filter setup, sort of. Um, The first model of the short can, the Reichswehr-era can, was made from 1930 until 1935. It's differentiated from later cans by the closure mechanism, which is like a pretty simple latch, like what you would find on a toolbox. It also has an extra bracket on the side for wearing the straps in a different configuration. Not really sure You know, whether that was so you could, like, wear it around your neck if you were a motorcyclist or something. I always thought that was
0: the reason. Motorcyclist, bicyclist, maybe even cavalry wear it like that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that that's why, but I think that might be why. Yeah. And then um, it was similar to all the later models of cans in that it had a a field gray painted finish and that it was a fluted metal can. And then inside the lid of that can is a compartment. And inside that compartment goes the little... uh, like paper packets with the anti-fog inserts that we mentioned earlier. Uh, in 1935, the Reichswehr became the Wehrmacht. And uh, in that same year, they came out with a new model of the short can. This was the first Wehrmacht model of the short can. And this one was uh, it differed from the previous model in that it dropped that extra little strap bracket and it had a different closure mechanism instead of the kind of old timey toolbox looking thing. It now had a uh, a latch, like a flip latch, that had a riveted short length of strap that would help you to uh, operate that closure mechanism. The
0: lid was also, how do I say, uh, shorter or thinner, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. The lid is not as deep. Yeah. And that new uh, not-as-deep lid was basically the same depth of lid that they continued to use through the end of the war. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the closure mechanisms are cool, although actually Chris owns a couple of them. I was playing around with it and I kind of see why they went over to why they did away with that design, but they are still visually cool. I feel like I mean, they only made these things for a year and they weren't sort of they weren't ramping up like wartime production, so I feel like the 1935 to 1936 style of can is rarer, um, but it's not like super sought after. You can still find them. But again, just not as common.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I'll, I'll mention about these short cans is that the early cans do have like a a little bit of a different color than the later war cans. It's uh, I believe that the Germans called all of this stuff field gray, but
0: it's it's more of like an apple green. It's closer to what you see the uh, the pre-war
1: helmets exactly. uh, in my experience. Um, and then in 1936, they changed that closure mechanism and they went with a sort of a spring-loaded. Uh, catch mechanism where you pull down on a strap and that releases it, and that's the same closure mechanism that they used through forty-five through nineteen forty-five. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's pretty ubiquitous. And they used that short can until nineteen thirty-eight, and at that point, uh, they came out with a new gas mask, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit. But before we uh, get into the model 1938 gas mask, let's kind of talk about these earlier short cans and when they were used. Obviously, during the 1930 to 1938 period, they were the only cans that were available, and that's that's what was used. Uh, but after 1938, they introduced a new gas mask and a new can, and so that new can that was introduced in 1938, the taller can, that became the standard issue wartime, type uh, can but of course the the short cans didn't go away in 1938 they could they continued on in use Um, Ben what's your thought about you know kind of early war uh, how how predominant or not predominant do you think these things were in the first 24 months of World War II
0: I haven't really done a photo study I mean imagine I I imagine in Poland they were pretty common and uh, same in France Um, I also imagine that you know, maybe issue with these things was... Uh, or issue with the new style of cannon mask was prioritized for frontline units, but I don't know that for a fact. That's just a, that's a hunch. Um, and, I mean, Chris, as you say, I do feel like through attrition and uh, just introduction of the new model by, you know, say 42, the predominant style of... Gas mask canister you'd see in the field is the longer 1938 style.
1: Well, as you know, like uh, er- a lot of early equipment items, like the M36 field blouse, for example, or the M35 helmet, these things were never declared obsolete. No, yeah, they, they just, just reissued them. Yeah, used and issued alongside the uh, the other models. But it was different, of course, with the gas mask canister. They sure. actually did want to have everybody out there having the tall 1938 model can uh, for the in, for that reason it was ordered in april of 1942 that all field army units should have the uh, model 1938 tall cans while the short cans were to be given to the ersatz which was the replacement army so training and kind of very rear area units units in germany um, and also to the air raid protection service to the luftschutz and So, in theory, after April of 1942, there would not have been short cans in use in the field army. Of course, the reality of what the Germans wanted to achieve and what they were able to achieve was not always the same.
0: Well, we were just debating this off air, and, um, you know, you, you do see photos of the short can in use after April of 1942. There's a famous Keller photograph that shows a bunch of men in the winter tarnanzug with the white side out. And the man in the photograph is very clearly wearing uh, the short canister. And I imagine that photo was taken in the winter of 1942 into 43, possibly even 43 into 44. I need to check that. But um, I think they also have like whitewashed helmets. And it's from like a photo series where there's like there's like a village on fire and like the men are like pulling a sled. Um, some of our listeners may may know what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, I think in general, um, after the order was, was given, it would have been uncommon to see the short canister in the field. Maybe on some, like, Landa or Sischerung's units, you would still see them. But, again, that's a hunch. And, I mean, I mentioned to Chris that you do see some short gas mask canisters in, like, two-color or three-color camouflage schemes. And, but what does that mean? Was this thing, you know, carried by uh, a soldat in in Normandy? Because Chris pointed out that that three color scheme wasn't theater specific. It could have perchance even been done in training in Germany. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. Helmet Chris, collectors call that three color. It's like red yellow and yeah green it's like oh yeah
0: ochre tan and green The
1: collector term for that is a normandy camouflage scheme but that's a collector term that's not based on any uh Fairmarked documentation and really uh it's a generic term for that three color uh camo scheme which i believe was used on basically all fronts you
0: know? mm, mm, mm. fair enough
1: so i guess if i could kind of throw out there um Having thrown some facts out there, my subjective opinion is is that if you're doing like a post-1942 combat unit impression, like infantry or anything like it, I think you really need to have the tall 1938 model can. Yeah, I
0: would agree on that.
1: So the reason why they changed the can was it had to do with the, the filter. They changed the filter, and they, they changed the mask. They came out with a new gas mask, the Gas uh 38 GM thirty eight. This was made out of r- not rubberized canvas anymore. It was made out of rubber. Still in the same three sizes, same strap configuration, but um, the uh, the the eyepieces around the lenses were changed, and um, of course the material was different. And they were made out of both green and black rubber. Both both types were used.
0: That's cool. Do you want to get into um I think some of them had like a blue painted like a like a like a base for the filter and what, didn't that mean they were like non magnetic and for squad leaders or something?
1: I don't yeah I don't know if they actually really were for squad leaders but. Um No, you're right. The standard GM38 metal fittings have a field gray painted finish, but some of them have a blue painted metal finish, and that indicates that the metal parts are non-magnetic, so you could wear the mask, and it wouldn't interfere with using a compass. That's cool. Um, And there were some other variations, too, also with the GM38, where there was like a type that had a screw fitting on one side where you could fit it with a microphone. Um, the Kriegsmarine used that, but, but not exclusively. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, there was like anything World War Two German, there's a million variations. There were, uh, there was like a special gas hood for soldiers that had like a head wound and couldn't wear the mask. Um, cool. there was even, this is, uh. This kind of goes into the speculative realm, but there was like a late war kit that consisted of a filter with a mouthpiece and a clip that would go over your nose uh, as like an emergency gas mask, you know. And, Wild. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, weird stuff. And there is even there is uh, a rubber gas mask can that is known. You know, these things are rare and um, a subject probably worth worthy of further study.
0: I thought I heard somewhere that those were, like, speculated to be maybe, like, naval application. But, again, don't quote me
1: on that. Well, there's—and then there's—these things continued on in use, uh, the masks and the cans, by a whole bunch of different European nations after World War II. Sure, Norway used them, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Denmark used them, and, uh, you know, you do see— reused wartime stuff and they changed parts around changed paint colors or whatever as Mm. needed. So, um, so it, it's a whole field of study, I guess, you know, from a reenactor perspective, when we look at this tall 1938 can, um, Look, there's not too many variations, really, that I would... There's basically very few variations that I would consider to be usable for reenacting. Like, the overwhelming vast majority of reenactors just need the standard model that was issued by the millions and millions during World War II. Yeah. Uh, They all had a field gray painted finish when they left the factory. Even the Luftwaffe ones, they were not painted blue. Um, And they all have that uh, little compartment inside the lid for the spare lenses. There were some very late-war modifications that happened. For example, on that little spring-loaded closure latch, the stud that, that it latches onto, um, instead of like a machined part, they made it out of a folded piece of sheet metal. And then inside the compartment for the spare lenses, they replaced the the little wire spring with just a simple metal bar to hold the lenses in. You know, but but look, uh, I can see that th- these little modifications might make a mask a canister rather appealing to somebody who's trying to do a 1945 impression. But the reality is that even in 1945, the vast majority of soldiers would not have had the special late war can. Most of those were probably never issued. Most soldiers would have just the standard can as issued from 1938 to 19. 19- You know, as manufactured from 1938 to 1945. Yeah, I mean, this is a sort
0: of aside, but I know we've said this on the show before. I feel like it would have been very, very uncommon for you to be a soldier who would have been issued like all M-44 everything. Like most people would have been issued, you know, stuff that had made in 1943 or 44 that was still in depots that was of like a mid-war pattern. Um like, it would be, you'd be very hard-pressed to find somebody who's, like, M44, tunic, simplified, belt, or sats, you know, whatever. <laughs>
1: sure. Uh. Um, and then, uh, you know, like, uh, these cans, basically, they just weren't, there wasn't that much variation in them. I mean, there is variation in, in shade to an extent, um you know there but as far as like the manufacturer of the can there is some there are some cans that have a D stamped on the bottom which stood for dicht and it, those cans uh, originally had or were intended to have a rubber gasket in the lid that would make them i guess waterproof yeah. um a lot of wartime cans were marked with the D but not all of them and then some cans have an aluminum inner sleeve and I'm not sure if they all originally had them but certainly when you find them today some of them don't have that inner sleeve.
0: I thought they did away with that to save on aluminum for, you know, aircraft production. Sure, but, uh, I could be off on that. Yeah, but I feel like most, you know, cans I've seen made up until like 42, even 43 might have the aluminum sleeve, but then after that, you don't really see them too much.
1: So these um cans, you would wear them via canvas straps. And, uh, this, the straps are a whole other, like, area of study where they change over the course of the war. Originally, they. Leather ends, right? There were some leather ended ones early, um, and I think there was probably even some leather-ended ones in the mid-war period. Yeah. Uh, I think that kind of was a manufacturer variation.
0: Also, too, you see like wartime-made ones that have like a – the end has been coated in like a rubberized material.
1: There was a specific maker that used the three-letter code EBD that used a rubberized end on the straps. That's cool. Um but look they used a whole array of different colors and different weaves and different textures of webbing i'm sure that the material composition varied if you could analyze this i'm sure that some of them are cotton some of them are linen some of them are rayon you know i'm sure that they are, are blends some of them are can be shockingly synthetic looking the later ones i'm sure they you know i think they are synthetic yeah um there can some of the later ones that I think are made out of linen or hemp are like wildly crude and look like something that would be, you know, maybe not out of place on like a uh, a Viking warrior or something. You know, it looks <laughs> like it was made by uh, by a woman with a loom in a hut. Um, and of course, there's variation in the hardware. Early on, they were using aluminum hardware, and then wartime they used mostly st- uh, steel hardware. And there can be variations in the um, in the little buckle part that like there's a short strap on the bottom that has a little sort of a clip that would clip onto your belt. And there's like a whole bunch of different styles of those that you can collect. It's really, it's really crazy. That's Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, if we're just talking about wartime straps, there are olive ones, there are tan ones, there are blue ones and there are shades of all of these colors. Um, So having said all that, uh, you would think that, From a reenactment perspective, you'd be able to readily find usable straps, Uh, but you would be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as original straps go, they have become absurdly expensive. The collectors very much desire original straps, a nice set of, you know, no doubt, textbook original straps is like a valuable reenact a valuable collecting commodity and you certainly wouldn't want to use that for reenacting because of course these things are most you know a lot of these things have become fragile from the passage of decades as well
0: Mm -hmm. organic materials
1: they will decay Right. said that before well and some of the straps especially the later war straps I don't think those things would have lasted very long in field use when they were brand new, to be no, honest. No, 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 no. Um, Dropping quality, you know? So they there were post-war... Uh, cans which we'll kind of get into later that were used by the post-war German military the Bundeswehr and the straps for those cans are around but um, you know people will have different opinions about the usability or not usability of these post-war straps.
0: I remember I had a bunch of them and I ended, I ended up doing a, I ended up selling them or giving them away because I didn't think they were any good. I thought they were like too obviously post-war. And then later on, I kind of regretted that. I thought, well, well shoot. I, I actually kind of... I saw more originals, and I changed my opinion. I'm like, wow, I maybe could have used some of
1: those. Well, th- this is kind of uh, a very weird place where a, a judgment call becomes necessary, because... I could make the case that there were some wartime straps that were very similar to the post-war straps, which the post-war straps are olive in color, and they have a very coarse weave. Um, It's like they've got a very visible weave, large, I don't know, thread size, low thread count. Mm. Not sure how to technically describe this, but it has a certain look. A lot of wartime straps, the early war straps were definitely more finely woven and i would say smoother in general the post-war straps are coarsely woven and rough looking i mean the the post-war ones but there are some wartime ones that look like that there are some wartime ones that are the same color Mm -hmm. the problem is is that when you see the post-war strap you know you're looking at the post-war strap even if some wartime ones look like that when you see it you know that that's what it is so you know To full disclosure here, I have post-war straps on most of the cans that I use. I've chosen ones that look sort of less obvious, less obviously post-war. They are what they are, however. Um, You know, a collector generally wouldn't be fooled by these things.
0: Back when I sort of was more... uh I was trying to make my gas gas mask can as accurate as possible. I got some reproduction straps from Frank Barone, and I believe he used, like, Swiss webbing, which, you know, according to, you know, some limited research that I did was, like, pretty close or as close as you could get to some of, like, the wartime webbing. I still have that. I think it's cool. Um, I don't know if he still has that or makes those, but... um Yeah, I don't really know where to get good reproduction gas mask straps. This like today, right now, I just don't.
1: Well, there are a variety of uh, of reproduction gas mask straps that are available today. There have been, as you allude, there have been some great reproductions made, but those may not be available now. Yeah, and there there could be some awesome gas mask strap that we don't even know about. You know, I mean, I'm not pretending that we totally know but it would be news to me right if this thing existed um there are some makers using check webbing to make gas mask straps it's not really the right kind of webbing it doesn't look correct in my opinion um there i actually found a set of straps on ebay i think it might have come from lancer outfitters that was not bad really um not perfect, but definitely for me usable. I do use it. I swapped out the hardware. I swapped out, I think, the clip um, for an original clip, and I I changed something about the stitching. I kind of tuned it up a little bit, but it, I, it certainly works for me. But like I say, I had to make some changes to it, and it was you know not ideal out of the box. Mm. So, you know, since we're talking about reenactment stuff, what about the cans? What are the options for a reenactor? If you want to portray a Wehrmacht soldier, you have to have a gas mask can. What what to do?
0: Well, that's a bit of an interesting subject, isn't it?
1: Well, let's let's start off with what might be kind of the obvious thing that most people are probably thinking or would would screen for you to do, which is to use an original Wehrmacht can. Well,
0: um I bought an original gas mask canister with original paint from 1944 military uh, back, oh, it must have been like six, seven years ago, it was a while ago, and, you know, I think it was selling for like 80 bucks or something, maybe it was a little bit more, but it it wasn't super expensive, um, and I used that in the field. I, I had had a... Repro one before, and I didn't love the metal that it was made out of. I thought it was kind of, kind of cheap, and so I, I, quote unquote, upgraded to an original. And the field use really took a toll on the paints. I mean, this thing was made. This thing was made in the late war period. I don't think the paint was like super durable to begin with, and reenactment wear wasn't kind to it. Like, I remember there was one event where I went to the D-Day Kanye event, and it started a deluge. And I realized to my horror that the Zelt that we had set up was flooding. And so myself and a comrade dug a trench around the Zelt in the middle of the pouring rain, Um, but then the trench started to fill up with water. And to save our belongings that were inside, we started bailing with everything that we had. So I was bailing with my sheaf and cap. And then I thought, oh, I can just use my original gas mask canister. So I'm bailing water out of a trench with an original gas mask canister. Needless to say that after, you know, the scraping and the water immersion that's involved in that process, the paint did not fare too well. So... Yeah, basically I butchered that original that, you know, original configuration, gas mask canister in the name of reenacting and definitely devalued it.
1: Yeah, I when I started reenacting the real only thing that I knew of that was a possibility was to get an original gas mask canister with original paint. That's like what everyone seemed to have. And uh yeah, it rubbed up against my uniform when I was running around, original paint wore off, I fell on it, I dented it. Um, what really sucks is that the can that I happened to get was an unissued 1945 dated can, which is extremely desirable to collectors and quite rare. And, uh, you know, I definitely harmed the value of this thing significantly through my reckless use at the time of this thing. Um, you know, I think uh, and and I'm talking about this thing was desirable to collectors and valuable you know, 15, 20 years ago. Now, the value of these things in their original state has become kind of absurd.
0: We've talked about this time and again, Chris, on the show and off, but how many original items have been destroyed or devalued, you know, in the post-war period by reenactors? So many. So I feel like there's, there's a little bit of awareness, you know, there's just a little bit of... Sort of self-consciousness, I feel like. Well, as
1: these things have gotten much more expensive in recent years, I think we're going to see less. I think we are seeing less use of original cans with original paint by reenactors, which, you know, people would say, well, just find a can that uh, is rusty and not desirable to collectors and strip and repaint it and use that. (laughs) Well, Chris. Well, look... um, the thing is, is that in recent years, I think people have found out that there are ways to restore original paint that I, I really wasn't aware of years ago. Um, I bought a gas, I bought a rusty gas mask canister to try out oxalic acid, um, which is a mild acid that dissolves iron oxide. So it dissolves rust. And I, I got this rusty can, it was very ugly. I treated it with oxalic acid all of that surface rust dissolved and underneath that rust was gorgeous original paint like you wouldn't be- you wouldn't believe this was the same can almost you know because it it was so ugly and after the oxalic acid treatment it's like beautiful dis- very displayable attractive desirable
0: if i'm not mistaken that's what one of the 1935 pattern cans we talked about earlier with the cool uh, Unique to that year, strap closure.
1: Yeah. That's cool. And that's a can that I think some people would have looked at as a candidate for like a reenactor strip in a yeah. store. And that would have been an absolute tra- tragedy because this thing, after the, you, you, not like, you know, I, I, it was kind of an easy oxalic acid treatment, you know. Mm. Like basically, uh, oxalic acid is available here in the United States as uh, a type of a wood bleach. And it's a powder. And I mixed up, I kind of looked online, I found some different formulas for how to do this. I sort of, you know, I'm not really an expert on this. This was really the only time I ever did this with a a painted metal object. But I I made up kind of a mild solution uh, in some water. I let it soak in there for maybe, I don't know if it was less than an hour or an hour. It wasn't very long. And then i used like a kitchen scrubbing pad and the rust just wiped right off and revealed this original paint and then i used a baking soda solution and i scrubbed the whole thing to neutralize the acid and then i uh, put some rust preventative on it to prevent the newly exposed bare metal from rusting and that was it and it looks it you'd never guess that this thing looked like a a semi-relic object you know, you it, it look it looks all original and it's it's beautiful. Yeah,
0: it's got that beautiful sort of apple green looking paint on it. I love the color.
1: And and who knows if in a few years some clever restorers might find even better ways to remove uh rust and grime and, and reveal the original paint that's underneath. So yeah, no lie. I, I am not an adv- I'm not an advocate for like restoring rusty cans of course if a can is so rusty that there's no original paint left on it well it's probably going to have pitting to the metal and it's probably going to look like crap when you paint it yeah it's probably not a candidate for use anyway yeah so i would say a a post-war can that's already been repainted that i think is a is a solid candidate for use
0: well the post-war cans we're talking about this uh before the episode and i I used to not really give a shit about their collectibility. I still.
1: I, all right. Well, just so so people know, there are post-war made 1950s manufactured yeah. canisters that are similar or identical to the wartime canisters yeah. that were used by the post-war German military. Yeah, I
0: think the only difference is they don't have the D, which, as Chris said, not all the wartime ones have the D on them, and then that they're they're like marked differently. They have this like stamped marking usually on the interior of the lid and some of them have like a letter on uh like the outside uh of the top of the lid which you know if you want and as chris and i discovered you can actually sand off
1: that was a huge discovery for us yeah. because um we you know ben and i had previously been using these uh uh, virtually identical post-war German military cans, which we would strip and repaint. But you would always want the ones with no letters, raised letters on the top of the lid. Um, some of them are made by Our and have a raised Our manufacturer logo on the top of the lid, the post-war ones. Some of them have a raised PLS maker mark on top of the lid. And we would basically not buy those because those are different from World War II and thus unusable. But if you can sand that off... well, that, So then it's like, well, what happens if you try to take sandpaper to this thing? So we tried taking very fine sandpaper and a sanding block so that it was flat and smooth and sanding that thing down, and you can just sand that marking right off, and it's gone.
0: Yeah, and also, too, I think not all, but at least some of the post-war gas mask canisters have a, like a cloth... Uh, case over them um or it's like it the the, the thing is like ensconced in this like canvas. Uh, muffler or carrier,
1: which is actually very handy. Like yeah, the, it's like too bad that the Wehrmacht didn't have that Yeah, that would be cool. When you're running around, your gear is clanking against that mask, and I guess the Bundeswehr or some uh, post-war German organization or organizations figured out that you could put a closely fitted cloth cover on that thing and uh, dampen that sound. Yeah,
0: minimize the, minimize the clanking, you know? So I, I wish the Wehrmacht had gone with that, but I, I got a number of the post-war... You know, gas masks over the years that had the, the cloth cover on it, and I just I just ripped that off. You know, I just I, I, I tore it off and I threw it away.
1: Um, and in my life, I have destroyed dozens of post-war surplus items and converted them to the Wehrmacht style for use in. Canada. I have as well. And I, I mean, I don't
0: really feel that much of a guilt about it, but I feel like there is it is becoming a bit of an ethical issue.
1: Well, it kind of is an ethical issue because these things... frankly they are collectible in their own right as post-war military used items there i've seen an increasing amount of interest in uh post-war german military equipment and there are collectors of that stuff
0: i'm sure there's a Bundeswehr uh collector uh, listener who is absolutely apoplectic uh hearing these words we're saying well yeah i mean <laughs> you know
1: that you get those can it's maybe uh dated 1956 or something it's it's unissued um and it's got perfect original paint. It's got the original straps that have always been with it. It's got a cloth cover that's never been taken off. And then you just scrap all of that stuff, sandblast that thing or strip it down to bare metal and paint it up to look like something that really it never was, you know, a Vermax can. Chris, are and you then tr- use it as a
0: toy. Chris, are you trying to uh, alienate, alienate our
1: uh, listeners? Well, look, I, <laughs> am, I, not, I am not going to do that again. You know, I have done this and I am not going to do it again. Um if if you're a reenactor out there and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, all right, I really need to get a gas mask canister and I know where I can get or I found a post-war can – one of these identical post war cans, and all I need to do is tear off the canvas and swap out the straps, maybe, and change the color of the paint. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that you're a bad guy if you do that. But I would say that, you know, what Ben and I have done, where we already had a gas mask canister and then uh, bought additional piles of gas mask canisters, <laughs> and, you know, that's just senseless, right? It's,
0: I would try to get one on the used market if I were a newbie well, reenactor. That, that
1: really is what I would stress for anybody is to try to find a gas mask canister that's already been used by somebody's a getting
0: out of the hobby or they're selling extra stuff.
1: Yeah, and there's, you know, th- there are Facebook groups where this stuff can be sold. If you're a member of a reenactment group, somebody in your group might have a lead on one, but the best thing to do is to get one that some other reenactor has already um, you know, altered and put into a new configuration for reenacting because there is no there's you there's not really much that you can do to hurt it. You could still fall on it and squish it. But uh, as far as, like, historical integrity, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, and, it's only original ones.
0: By the way, I acknowledge that's actually a terrible answer. Like, I think most people want to know, like, the URL of the website where they can buy the correct reproduction. And
1: Well, there are reproduction cans. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you guys. The reproduction cans, most of them... They are kind of visible for what they are at a glance because the the vertical ribs on these fluted cans, on the reproductions, they're often very shallow. Sometimes they're like very, very, very shallow. And when you see that can that almost looks smooth, you know, you know you're looking at a reproduction can. The other
0: thing, too, is they do crush really easily. Um, the steel is extremely thin. And I remember I had one. The first gas mask canister I ever had was uh, was one of these repros, and I like took a hit at an event on like a grass field, and I didn't like squash the can, but it definitely was like indented in a way that a post-war original would not have been.
1: Well like. like I like I said, you know, I did fall on an original can and dent it. No, but like um, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of reenactors get the idea that Wehrmacht equipment was withstands was built to withstand the impact of a nuclear bomb. And that <laughs> no, this no. stuff was like look, it's like metal, leather, fabric, bags, like stuff broke, tore, you know, got smashed. And yeah, you can definitely smash an original uh, can. But yeah, there are reproductions look, out there that are flimsier. My, my, I will say, look, there, there's... I At one time, I bought a reproduction can uh, years ago on eBay. This can has great deep grooves for the fluting and it's very sturdy. I have stood on this thing to prove a point about reproduction cans. The problem is... I don't know who made that can, and as far as I know, there is no source to currently buy that can. As far as I know, all of the reproduction cans that are available, brand new right now, come from the same manufacturer, and they all have the same problems.
0: Look, maybe some enterprising person who listens to this has a con- has has contact information of a foundry in india or pakistan and can contract perfectly made reproduction gas mask cans after they hear this episode and if you are such a person please do that but um yeah um as chris said
1: so so yeah uh just to recap on that where to get the can you know look on the reenactor groups where stuff is being sold you know there's the reenactors corner discord. There's a lot of guys there. You could probably ask there, see if someone's got something for sale, ask around, be patient, try to find something that, uh, has already been, you know, kind of restored, re- prepared for reuse for reenacting. Uh, you could look on eBay. Um, there might be, there might be weird painted post-war painted originals on eBay or, or post-war ones that you could get. Um, that's that's for the cans now the masks is like a whole other issue really yeah um when i started reenacting you know back when dinosaurs walked the earth uh prior to world war ii you know you couldn't get a mask because they hadn't even been invented yet Now, when i when i started reenacting the uh Everyone like kind of had an original mask in the can. People who wanted to carry a mask carried it. I got the mask that I carried in my can from at the front. I think you could get as many as you wanted for thirty dollars. That is a ship that has well and truly sailed. The mask has now become wildly expensive. For, it
0: sailed and it sunk, bud.
1: You yeah, know, the, like uh, the, the the original very gas masks have become valuable you know there it's not like a fifty thousand dollar item or anything but um it's like you know more than a hundred dollars mm-hmm. generally speaking in the u.s i know probably there's someone read like uh, listening to this who is thinking you know at the local local flea market in eastern europe uh i could find the mask all day long like that's great but um where i live you're probably not going to find a mask cheap at the flea market ever um your op your opportunity to find a cheap mask is is basically not there so you're you're going to have to pay up if you want an original Wehrmacht mask and then you're going to put this thing in a metal container and you're going to run around and it's going to be subjected to heat and cold the sun is going to beat down on the can it's going to be 200 degrees in the can and this rubber uh, i mean look rubber hardens over time the rubber that was being manufactured in world war ii it just doesn't stay supple forever it is going to fossilize it is going to harden your mask may be very supple right now it may not be supple after a year or 18 months of subjecting it to heat and cold and freeze and thaw and all this other stuff never mind if you open Mm. the can and subject it to uh sunlight and and dust you know that has its own problem so um You got to be, you got to be considerate of these factors if you want to use an original mask. And uh, I would recommend, frankly, I would recommend people not doing it. These things, their trajectory of value and desirability of these things is what it is. And I I don't see, uh, I, I think that, yeah, like I say. I think, I mean, to
0: my shame, perhaps, uh, I, I still use an original, uh, I think it was like a post-war Danish reissue, uh, but it is an original 1938 pattern rubber GM-38, and so, yeah, um, they say, uh, I've heard it said that the post-war GM-54 gas mask is, is good, it's, it's similar enough to the wartime ones, but try finding one.
1: Yeah, I have a uh, GM-54 gas mask, the 1954 pattern German gas mask. It's not the same as a GM-38 or a GM-30. It has features from both models. But, um, you know, at a glance and from a distance, it looks like a German gas mask. And, you know, like we discussed at the start of the episode, I've never really taken this thing out of the Canada reenactment for anything other than uh, some goofy joke because someone, you know, ripped a fart or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. so it it serves the job. The weight is there. You open up the can, you look in there, there's a mask in there. Yeah. Um and uh in recent times I have en- I have enjoyed the occasional sneaky uh no mask in the can move, uh which is something I never used to do, but I don't know, sometimes when the mood strikes me, I just don't put anything at all in there. Fair enough. Um Now, I've seen some other reenactors getting other post-war models of masks. I'm not sure what they are. There's maybe like a few different kinds. Um, And yeah, there's a gas mask in your can. Uh, You know, you can put... There are post-war filters that are almost identical to one of the models of wartime filters basically identical identical except for the stamps you can even get uh original filters for for not a lot of money still that have that were post-war used and you could put an original or an identical post-war filter on a kind of vaguely similar looking gas mask and have that in your can and you know depending on what your standards are what your unit expects that might be good enough i certainly wouldn't Tell someone they shouldn't be doing that. So why will there be no reproduction gas mask? This is a question I see constantly on the Internet. Is there a reproduction World War II German gas mask? No, there is not. And there will never be. Um, it would cost $500, you know? If you actually hold one of these masks, I, I think $500 would be an optimistic price. Yeah. Like, there is a lot going on with these masks. You've yeah. got multiple different cast or machined metal parts. Yeah. You've got all of these molded parts. You know, you've got this multiple-piece assembled mask with the uh, with the suede bits, and then just the straps alone, all the stitching on the straps, all the parts, the the, uh, the metal springs inside. It's like... Between the materials, the tooling costs, the labor cost, like
0: Who's gonna pay that? Nobody that, is gonna pay it. There would be one that there would be like one or two people who would pay that, you know? And then it's, how do you recoup your
1: losses? This is a little thing called economies of scale and it's it's the same reason why there's not gonna be reproductions of of many other uh, you know items the thing with the gas mask specifically is that even if an original mask cost a thousand dollars, you could release a reproduction mask and price it at a thousand dollars and people still aren 't going to buy it because sure. you, you don 't actually really need no. let 's be honest you don 't really even need to have this thing really I think some it. people
0: ask the question because they make reproductions of the World War I gas masks of like the the British one and like the German ones, but I would counter argue that. Those masks are much simpler uh, in construction and in, in the materials used. And I feel like, and the reproductions aren't perfect. Like the, sure. the Repro M17 later masking that are on the market, um, they do need to be reworked significantly to be made right. I think Shipper Fabric made a nice reproduction of the Gumi mask. Uh, even
1: that needed some work. Even,
0: yeah, and that's, I don't know, that yeah so and but and like, those go for big money now
1: yeah those the the world war one masks can be reproduced because they are much simpler in nature mm. and and even if you made okay so you're going to make a world war Two mask that is as close to the originals as the world war one mask is meaning there are some authenticity compromises some corners cut to make it possible to reproduce it it's still just It's just going to be too much, you know. I'd love it if someone proved me wrong. Go ahead, get out there and get get a factory going and make these things. Hmm. There's certainly people would, if you could sell them for $150, or frankly, frankly, if you could sell them for $300. I'd consider it. Yeah, I I bet you'd sell more than a few. Maybe, I don't know. Could be wrong. Reenactors are cheap. Yeah,
0: reenactors are cheap.
1: We didn't really get into the different models of filters for the German gas masks. and frankly, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So uh, there's a whole bunch of different models. You can uh, you could certainly learn about that stuff online. There's a reference website, mp44.nl. I use this website all the time. Lots of information. Great collector site. Lots of photos of originals with documentation about when these things were introduced and how they were used. Yeah. So, um, We'll leave that for, for homework. You can go and find out about that. Indeed you could, so. Yeah, you, if you want to be an uh, become an expert on uh, World of Two German gas mask filters and uh, come on the show, we'd love to have you. Indeed so. So, uh, having talked the German gas mask to death, let's get into uh, the only other thing that that. Ben and I really know very much about. I mean, look, uh, there are French World War II gas masks. There are all kinds of American World War II gas yeah. masks. I could I could talk here about the German civil defense gas masks. There were civil defense gas masks for all of the European countries, and America had it and stuff. Um, you could have a whole podcast where you just talk about different models of World War II gas mask alone. But
0: the um, gas mask corner yeah. coming soon.
1: <laughs> but. Um, Ben and I do World War II German and Soviet reenacting, so uh, Ben has done a lot more uh, research on the Soviet gas. And by masks. that I
0: mean not much, but just slightly more than More Chris. than me, which
1: by <laughs> more, you know, if you have ever researched this, you have done more research on it than me. Uh, so, Ben, you know, what, what, how did it work for these guys?
0: All right, so, look. I am certain that there are listeners amongst you who know a bit more on this than me. I don't actually know that much about the specific model of gas mask used, but I can tell you a little bit about the gas mask bags. So, if memory serves me correctly, in 1928, they introduced the OBR-28 model of gas mask bag, and this they were using like a much larger filter for the gas mask that they had in style then, This gas mask bag was based off of a British model, and it had snap closures for the top, which is actually kind of a neat feature, but I understand why they did away with it, because if you get any moisture in there, those press snaps can rust closed, which, you know, happens under field conditions. And these gas mask uh, bags also had little eyelet drainage holes, which is kind of neat. You don't really see those in the later models. And, uh, so, most, some armies did this, the Germans did this, they had, like, a gas sheet that you could cover yourself with in in the advent of a gas attack, the Soviets had the same thing, but the model 1928's gas mask bag did not have, like, a compartment or provision for their gas sheet, so, according to one original manual I looked at, you were supposed to carry that in your, uh, pack, but, um... That's kind of neither here nor there. So in 1936, they introduced the OBR-36 model of gas mask bag, and that did have a provision for the gas sheets. There was like a compartment in which you could carry it. It also had like two little pockets on either side for some decontamination equipment, and they had made the filter that they used for the gas mask a bit more compact, so it didn't didn't need to be as big and, and, and bulky. And then in 1940, they came up with the OBR-40 model, which basically just was a simplified version that deleted the side pockets for the decontamination equipment. And then in 1942, they went over to the OBR-42, which just had like a like a even more simplified strap. Um, and yeah, um, I'm I don't I know that the standard model of gas mask the Soviets used in World War II was like the SSHM-41. But they had a bunch of experimental models in, like, the 30s, which, you know, you still see in use in, like, the pre-war, early, early war era. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's, there, there's more information out there to be said, but that's, that's the extent of my knowledge in Soviet gas masks. It's one of the things you can't really describe, it, you sort of have to be there, because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. I think that female reenacting is
1: still sort of in its embryonic stage. But I do think that there is room to grow.
0: A lot of reenactors probably had like some sort of burnout maybe from like years past. It sucks, but it was a pretty good pause for everyone to kind of like regroup and like kind of like a really nice refresh to
1: get back out there. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. So uh if you're still awake and you have made it to the end, congratulations and if you would like to uh, talk more about gas masks, you can always send me a message or send us an email to the readactus corner at gmail.com and we will just we would love to just, you know, talk about, we could talk about paint finishes. We can talk about materials. We can talk about uh, absolutely any of these tiny details. I love it. We look forward to the hate mail. Bring it on. Yeah, if you're (laughs) upset because you, you know, you thought that we were going to get into the details of, uh, you know, the rare models of industrial gas masks that were used, you know, in Bulgaria in 1989, (laughs) you know, sorry. Uh, We'll be here all week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again to all the Patreon supporters and uh, to Ben and everybody out there, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. We love hearing your thoughts on the podcast. So why not sign up to the reenactors corner on discord? You'll find a link in the show notes that accompany this episode. And while you're there, perhaps have a think about supporting us via Patreon. Your regular donations, no matter
0: how big or small, really count and help keep us on the air.
1: Thanks to Mike, AKA Retro Man, for editing the podcast. And we hope that you'll join us here again soon for the next episode of The Reenactor's Corner.